good day to you. Welcome to another episode of the Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. And today I wanted to talk about what I did yesterday, which was record the next album with the band, Nick, Michael, and John. So I'm going to do something a little different on this podcast. I'm going to give you the very condensed version right now. And then if you feel like listening to the excruciating detail and every thought I had, um, you can continue listening. But basically, our friend Brian is a is an engineer and an assistant at a music studio called The Vault, uh, located off the Neville Island exit of 79. And it's an old bank building that was converted into this extremely high-end recording facility. Um, their mic collection, their vintage Neve recording console, all of the outboard gear, amp selection, recording room, everything about it is like way better than anything I've ever gotten to use before to record an album. So, and since we have a friend, Brian there, we got a discount for a day rate. We paid, um, well, I don't know if I should say how much we paid, but we, we rented the place for a whole day. Um, we went in at 10 o'clock. Brian had already been there for a couple hours setting up. So we arrived at 10 o'clock, got set up. Um, we did some sound checking, got our headphone mixes, um, tried to get those figured out, got everything mic'd up. And by about 12 o'clock, we were ready to start recording takes. So two hours setup, and then at noon, we started recording takes. Uh, we had seven songs that we wanted to do, and we started with the easiest ones and then progressed to the ones that we had played the least amount of times that we might need more takes with. So we started at noon. We ran through each song about three times, three, maybe four times, depending on the song. And then in a couple of the songs, we had a couple punch-ins. So if there was just like one little thing that was, you know, I missed one little thing, we I just would punch in that little spot and replay just that little segment. But there wasn't that much of that. Um, and we also really didn't do much overdubbing, at least for the first half of the session. So I expected it to take us all day to track the seven song album based on what it took us to do the last one. And, you know, within five hours since we started tracking, we were done. So it went a lot faster than I had expected. Um, and by five o'clock, we had tracked all the songs, at least the way that we play them together as a band. Um, so at that point, nobody had any additional overdubs they wanted to do. Um, nobody had any additional, uh, like, punch-ins or anything else they wanted to do so nick john and michael left and then i stayed to do vocals for one of the songs and i did um it's a little bit more experimenting since we kind of got the main stuff down that we came to do and we still had time left um i experimented with some piano because they had a nice piano there so i i experimented with playing some piano on some of the songs they had a marimba, um, experimented with that, experimented with, um, yeah, so just vocals, keyboard, 
yeah, I did some additional keyboard stuff, um, piano and marimba. I don't know if I said marimba. I've said marimba too many times now. But anyway, I stayed for an additional seven hours just uh, kind of experimenting with some of the fun stuff they had in the studio. And I'm waiting to get the audio back. Hopefully by the end of the week, I will have that and I can start mixing it. And if we want to redo any of the solos, we can do that. And then we'll be, should be ready to release it. So aiming for spring release. And we have a couple shows in spring that would coincide nicely with that. But anyway, that's it in a nutshell. I'm uh, really grateful that the guys in the band uh, were on board to invest a little more in this album because we had started recording it in my basement you know, the normal way that I record, just piece by piece with the stuff I have and which, you know, it's not bad. I get some good recordings down here, but to record as a full unit was something that I felt like I wanted to do since we've been playing these songs as a unit. And there's something that gets lost when you do it piece by piece. Um, and I wanted to capture that. And I'm grateful that everybody was on board with dishing out a little, little dough to try to capture that as best as we possibly could because this this studio is the best top of the line like recording stuff that we could really I could really imagine doing um so we'll see you know if it pays off but I'm I'm glad that everybody was on board with with taking that uh making that leap and just trying to go the extra mile with this album and give our songs that we've been working on the best possible sound we could give them and the best possible chance of being, you know, the just giving them a little extra love to be the best they possibly could be. And um, so anyway, I'm going to play now the rest of the audio I recorded for this podcast, which is a little slower, a little more excruciating detail, but... That's the main gist of it, so if you're interested in hearing more about it, continue. And if not, have a nice day. Okay, I'll see you later. Good day to you, and welcome to another episode of the Chalk Dinosaur Podcast. Uh, today, uh, I wanted to talk about the recording we just did yesterday. Um, we're working on a new full band album so as you know um some of the music of chalk dinosaur is stuff that i create um by myself and some of it is collaborative work that i do with the members of the live band which are nick o'halloran my brother john henderson and michael berger so we have been working on a new batch of music for pretty, I don't know, several months. I, I think we, I mean, I feel like at least six months we've been kind of working on ideas here and there and had started recording some of them in my basement here where we rehearse. And um, a little bit through that process, I was... Uh, I wasn't totally happy with the way that process was going and um, I wasn't really in love with the way things were sounding um, 
And I was really kind of just thinking a lot about wanting to record this album uh, together as a unit, like we did with Spectrum, um, the previous, you know, full-length, full-band album. And recording all together in my basement, we, we could do it, but it's not ideal. Um, there would be no real like sound isolation, so it'd be pretty hard to mix. We would probably have to nail a take all the way through, and we probably wouldn't be able to do any overdubs. Um, or we'd, be, we'd just be very limited, and I'd be very limited in terms of like shaping the mix and stuff. Um, I'd also be very limited in the amount of inputs. I think I'd be limited to 10, which you could totally make that work, but for this album, I just kind of felt like why not why not uh, invest a little more and try to take this one to a higher level than what we've done before. And um, around the time that we were working on this, music um one of my friends brian works at this music recording studio in neville island called the vault and it was a an old bank building and it was converted into a studio and um, he gave me a tour and after i went to the studio and saw the recording space the control room all of the the gear and microphone collection. Um, they had, you know, all the major vintage keyboards, like the Wurlitzer, the Rhodes. They had a B3. They had an acoustic piano. And after I went and saw that studio, I really... Uh, I really wanted to record there and I felt like we could get a much better sound like a much better sounding product at least raw materials for me to work with and mix we could get a much better version of that if we recorded there so I brought it up to the band and everybody was on board with with doing that and trying this trying this out and seeing, you know, seeing if we can't make, you know, a, a very quality and a deluxe audio listening experience. And obviously, you can make a deluxe high quality audio listening experience, you know, from a home studio. That's how I've done most of the music I've made. Um, that's how we recorded Sprout, and that was a full band album. But something I really enjoyed about recording Spectrum was the fact that we went in for one day, one, one full day session at a studio. We recorded five songs, and we did about three takes of each song. And then from that audio, was we're able to just make the whole album pretty much. It was it was almost done after that one day. Um, I went back and redid some guitar solos, and I 
added some extra layers and, um, you know, finishing touches, uh, audio decorations, you know, your candy, just like things to kind of shine it up, detail it a bit. And I just really liked how we did that all in one day. And I really liked how a lot of the time and thought that we put into it happened as we were developing and playing these songs live. We were kind of front-loading the, the recording experience as opposed to kind of uh, the other way, which is where we do things piece by piece, um, which that way works as well. So that that's how we were. We were beginning to make our next full band album in that method. Um, so Nick came over and we, we tracked some drums. Um, you know, we had a very basic demo and then we used that demo. Nick recorded drums. Michael recorded bass on a couple things. Um, John recorded some guitar. I recorded some guitar. But um, there's something about that method. I guess just the fact that it's very disjointed in how it's put together. Um, that gives it a completely, it gives it just a much different feel and a, a different sound to me than when you record together as a group. And whenever I'm making music individually, like in a vacuum, it, it's not important that it sounds like a group together or not as important, but, you know, as a performing band, I feel like there's something about all of us playing together that we don't get when we do it individually. So I really wanted to at least try and see what it was like to go to a, a really nice studio with a really nice recording console. It was an old Neve console. All this, uh, all these amazing microphones, this really awesome acoustically, like really awesome live room. I wanted to just go there, play as a band, see what we get and like work with that as the starting point. And I feel like uh, I'm really excited to get to work with the audio that we got there. But um, yeah, I just wanted to go in and, and do it together in one session, get, you know, 90% of it there. Um, I may, I have to go and listen to the audio. I don't have it yet from the studio, but I got to go back and listen, see if I want to redo anything. Um, and probably John might want to redo a solo or two, but, um, I thought it was, it would just be a lot more cohesive if we were all, if all the audio was from the same session with the same kind of recording setup. And um, I felt like that, that worked well for, for Spectrum. And I thought that was definitely, definitely worth it. And um, it also kind of disperses the, disperses like the composition and like, the the creative load it kind of disperses it around the band a little bit more so that we all come together 
um, on this one day and everybody has their own parts and has prepared on their own um, and has thought about their parts and we come in and, and we do it together. It's just like a goal too. Uh, it was a nice target because the, the other way we were doing it, um, it, it was just like, for me, it was starting to just become lost a little bit. Um, there was no, it was starting to just like lose, uh, lose focus, um, and cohesiveness, at least in, in my mind, like the, the album, um, it kind of just kept getting put on the back burner for me and um you know we weren't really able to get together too much to really work on the stuff together um so we were kind of doing a lot of things remotely um and i felt like that method i remember we were we were aiming to have something start releasing music in like last March or something, we were like, oh, maybe we'll start releasing singles. But um, I just kind of stalled out, like, um, driving that process, because I guess it kind of comes down to me as, like, the recorder and producer um, to kind of keep that project moving and, like, keep developing those ideas. And um, I was not doing that very well. Um, you know, we got pretty busy with shows and I just kind of like, it kind of just got put on the back burner unintentionally, um, for me. And I felt like if we had a date that we could all, that would be like the date that we're going to go and record the album, then it would kind of force us all to be prepared for that. And it would also be a singular date where after this date the album will be recorded at least the vast majority of it will be recorded um so it was something to prepare for like a show and it was nice because we've the month preceding the recording session we had a lot of shows well for us we had a lot of shows we had like three shows or something and so, you know, we were pretty loose and like, what's the word, in shape, I guess. So that was good. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the new songs, another reason I wanted to, to kind of abandon the piece-by-piece piece way we were doing it and, and record it all together was that we... I, you know, I was working on these recordings. We were kind of piecing it together between the band, um, you know, at different times in different places, putting it together. And it was sounding like, it was sounding pretty good, but I felt like by the time I had one of those songs, like, put together, we had already, you know, since then we had played it another, like, a lot of times. Between, like, practice and shows, we had we had played it a lot more times, and I felt like... Everybody was getting a lot more comfortable with the song and kind of refining their parts more. So I felt like it would 
it would probably be better to record it, you know, after we've had all this practice and refinement of, of playing it. So that was another reason why I felt like, you know, it might benefit us to scrap what we did, use that as a demo, and record it in a studio. Um, so that's kind of what we did. We, the, this, the original recordings that we were working on for, as the, like, album versions, those are, those became, like, the demos. That's kind of what we went off of, you know, to practice and to reference for structure and stuff. Um, so we kind of refined the songs by recording them ourselves. That's kind of how we started to refine the songs uh, in addition to playing them live. And then when we went into the studio yesterday, we were able to play through almost all of them very quickly. And we booked the studio for a full day, which was basically 10 a.m. until however late we want to go. Um, I was I was asking the engineer, Brian, who's our friend, um, you know, what's the latest session he's been on? And he was saying there was one, you know, he was there from like nine in the morning till five in the morning the next day. So when they say all day, they really mean you could be there all day. Um, so we went in at 10 o'clock in the morning and Brian got us all set up and we kind of got, you have to spend a, a good bit of time, you know, getting all the mics set up, getting all the levels set so that nothing's, you know, clipping or oversaturating or anything. And then, you know, he's got to get that set up so that we all, in our headphones, um, you know, we all have headphones on and, and getting that, the balance of, of that, what we're hearing in our headphones, getting that figured out. So that took about two hours and by noon we had started recording takes and we started with the easy ones um, and then we progressed into the newer ones that we had less, that we had less uh, experience with. That might take us a little longer, so kind of put the easy ones first, kind of get get our confidence up, and kind of just breeze through a few. Um, and that's what we did. We went through quickly, and within you know seven hours, we were we were like all done with the stuff we were gonna do as a as a group. Like everybody felt like they had got their best takes that they wanted to get while we were at the studio and um so it was like five o'clock and um we had tracked seven songs um nobody felt the need to do any more stuff so um Nick and John and Michael left and then I stayed to do some vocals for one one of the songs has vocals and you know I wanted to I wanted to try tracking through like recording vocals through just the insanely expensive chain of equipment that they had there 
um, I'm always just curious about like how does that, how will it, how will it handle and how will it perform differently than something I record at home with my very modestly priced gear. Um, so I think I was running through. Oh my gosh, uh, I think it might have been a, a Telefunken U67 or something. It was a, I think it was a U67. It was a two. It was like this fat tube microphone. Um, and Brian said, that's the microphone that Sinatra used. I'd have to look it up, but it was a Telefunken tube mic. I think it was a U67. And then he was running that into a tube tech. Uh, I think it was like a CL1 compressor, which is, it's like a super nice tube compressor. That's probably like three grand for that. Um, I was recording in a very acoustically treated space um and then from the tube tech compressor it was going into that you know vintage neve mixing console which imparts its own special um special juice into the sound so i'm very eager to hear how that works um, when i go to mix because i remember whenever um, my friend rich bradford whenever he lent me some of his high-end gear. Um, he had a, a real nice mic tech microphone, and then he had, you know, a nice preamp and a Chandler Little Devil compressor, and I ran my vocals. I recorded vocals with that setup, and I remember it, it was for Fire on the Beach, and I remember I recorded the vocals, and, you know, usually when I record vocals, I've got to, I've got to, like, process them a bit to get them to sit well in the song and be present but not harsh to not be boomy to be just to get them to like sit right in the mix so that you can hear them they're not overpowering they're not shrill or painful or anything and I remember with that setup that Rich let me borrow it all just I, I barely had to do anything to them um, they just sounded great without any processing or anything and they layered really nicely um it was super present but it wasn't trill and um so i that was pretty eye-opening um i was really it was really nice to just like record vocals and have it just work so effortlessly in the mix um so yeah after that i ended up getting a mic tech mic i ended up selling my my warm audio WA87, which is, it's like a remake of a classic microphone, the U87 from Neumann. Um, it's like the, the poor man's Neumann, but it sounds, you know, it sounded good. I, I recorded plenty of uh, nice sounding vocal things with that. But after hearing the mic tech, I was like, you know, there's something I never, I didn't quite connect with that. WA87, my, my prior mic that I had been using for probably the last five years or six years. They're just like, I never really loved that mic. So I decided to sell it and, and try a different one. So I got, I got a mic tech and it's like the, the cheapest mic tech they have. Mic tech is a company, by the way. It's like the cheapest condenser mic they have because it's a pretty expensive company. Um, but, you know, I just read a bunch of reviews and people 
people just raved about it, how it, you know, performed way above its price and all this stuff. So I figured it's worth a try. So I'll record some vocals with that at some point and, you know, I'll find out. But anyway, I wanted to see what it was like recording through. I mean, that was by far the most expensive vocal chain I've recorded through. The, the vocals I recorded yesterday. I mean, you know, that was just like an incredible vocal chain. So I'm, I'm really eager to see how that translates. Like how, how um, you know, once I get it back to my own mixing space here, how will it, how will it behave um, and how will it be to work with? And will it really sound that much better? You know, will it be that much easier? Will, will it be a similar experience to what I had with the Fire on the Beach recording chain that Rich had lent me that was, you know, better than what I had, where it was just much easier to mix and just sounded nicer, quicker, and easier? Will it be like that? I, I feel like it has to be, but we'll see. And another thing, like, I just, I didn't have, like, a great singing day yesterday. Um... I think I got, I think it'll, I think I got enough for sure. Um, but like, you know, vocals are one of those things. It's like, it's kind of like guitar solos. Um, for me, at least since I, I don't do vocals all that much. I think like the more I do vocals, the, the quicker I can get them knocked out and get them the way I want. But, and it depends on the song too. Like certain songs are just harder to sing um, but yeah, it, it's the kind of thing that can take a long time for me. I could spend an entire day just doing vocals for one song. Um, so trying to compress that into the time at the studio, we, I might've spent an hour just doing takes. And I think, you know, my method was just like, all right, I'm going to try and get as many takes in as I can in this amount of time while my voice is still like feeling good started to get a little hoarse at the end and like started to the take started to decline in quality so that's when i called it quits on that and so i think i'll have enough for like a main vocal and maybe one harmony and then all the rest of the vocal layers that i do i'll do here at, at the house in the basement uh, because those are i think those would be much less important that those are super pristine in fact it's it's might be better that they're not super pristine so that they kind of just sit in the background a little more and it'll be a different texture to blend in so you know i will continue to flesh out the vocals here and but i'm, I'm real excited to see like what that main vocal what that will do for the sound when i record that in such with such like an expensive recording chain I mean, this is all the best, absolute best, like, equipment you could record vocals on. So, I'm really excited. That was just cool to be able to do that. And also, in in general, just, like, everything that we recorded on was just the top of the line. Like, the best you can get, really. Like, um, the room was, I mean, I don't know if that's the best you can get, but it it sounded amazing. It looked like... It looked like, uh, I don't know, it looked perfect. The microphone collection for um, for recording the drums, all the best stuff you could get. The microphones for recording everything was just pretty much like the best you could get. 
And recording into that Neve mixing console, that's like the best you can get. That's like, I mean, those are hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're, they're very sought after, hard to get. The one that they have at the vault, that mixing desk was, that had a lot of history to it as well. That was where Nirvana's album, Nevermind, that was recorded and mixed on that mixing board. Um, George Harrison owned that mixer. There was some other stuff too. I don't remember. I just remember it was like, wow, this has had a lot of, a lot of classic music made on it. Um, so anyway, just like very, was very intrigued by seeing what it would sound like if we recorded with everything the best, just to get the absolute best raw materials for me to mix. And um, so yeah, I'm really excited about it. I even got to like record some marimba. They had a marimba there, which I love mallet percussion, um, like vibraphone, marimba, xylophone. Um, but you know, those are kind of rare. I never really have a chance to mess around with a marimba. It's a massive instrument, but they had one there and you know, it was like 10 at night. I was real beat. Uh, you know, it had been like 12 hours and I, uh, hats off to Brian. He just like, he just like stayed all day, never wavered in his like energy or focus and was just enthusiastic about anything that we wanted to try. And then later on in the night when it was just me, anything I wanted to try, he was all about it. So he you know, he was even encouraging me. I probably would have maybe stopped a little earlier, but he was like, you know, you want to, you to try some piano. Like we have this really nice acoustic piano and we have these amazing, um, what the heck mics were they? U47s or something. I forget what mic it was. It was just like these, like I said, just absolute top of the line, like microphones and then going into the Neve, going into this, the piano was recorded into this, um, Neve compressor. That's like one of their classic things that, and then it was just like, something I would never get to record through, um, anywhere else. Uh, well, you know, maybe at another studio somewhere, but definitely not at home. So I was super, you know, I was real tired and, you know, he encouraged me to, to try some piano and I'm really happy I did because, um, well, one, it was really fun, but also I feel like I tried some piano on one of the songs, two of the songs actually, but one of them, I was like, wow, I really like what this is doing for the song. Um, and the tone was just amazing. It's like I have software pianos, like fake pianos at, at you know, on my computer. And it's just like none of them sound that great. And th to get to play a real one recorded in absolute, you know, pristine, most flavorful mics and like compressor and mixing board. It was like a very awesome. And then... Yeah, they had a marimba in the basement, and again, I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to play marimba. I haven't like, I don't know what I'm, what I would play to this song. Um, I'd kind of just be messing around, and he was like, yeah, sure, like, as long as you want to stay here and do that, like, I'm, I'm here to, to help. So, it was really great working with Brian because he was just, he was just enthusiastically encouraging you know, experimentation and never like looking at the clock or trying to like rush us or anything. Um, 
it's just really great in that regard. But yeah, as you can tell, very excited about having the opportunity to record with that caliber of facility and equipment. Like it honestly can't get any better in terms of the mics, the preamps, the, the mixing board, the room. The room, like, that's debatable. Maybe the room, I guess it depends on what kind of room you want, but man, the drums sounded great. And it's just like the quality of the audio is going to be the best that I've ever had to work with. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and I, I've recorded before at the Carnegie Mellon studio. That studio is very nice as well. The difference though, is that that studio is geared towards classical, like orchestral recording. So everything at that studio is very all about like transparency, super clean, and transparent, I guess, you know, like realistic, accurate representation of sound. And I guess the difference between that and this studio was this studio was more geared towards, I guess, like, you know, rock or pop music, just like, um, you know, non-classical music, um, where the there's a much more of an emphasis on flavor um, and tone, you know, color being imparted to the sound to make it sound you know not necessarily just a pristine transparent ultra realistic representation of sound but you know a flavorful representation of sound uh, which is something that i'm excited about because like I, I had some i've had good recording experiences at the CMU studio when I was in college, you know, 12, 13 years ago. But it was not the kind of flavorful tones that I, I came to seek later, uh, later in like life. And, you know, trying to get the flavor, trying to get really tasty flavors with your, with your tones. Um, and, you know, a huge part of that is is the microphones and preamps, you know, with the amazing mic collection they had and the vintage Neve recording console they had. Um, and then they had the acoustically tuned room, which was great. And then the excellent engineer. So it was just a, it was a great, great time. Um, I definitely want to do more stuff there. Um, I'm already thinking of like stuff I want to do there now. Um, because that's such like a an amazing resource, um, and you know we got we got to do it at at a uh, discounted rate because our friend Brian is one of the engineers there, so we got uh, we got the friends and family discount, which was which was great. Um, anyway, so I'm waiting for I'm waiting for Brian to get the audio together and send it to me um, and then I'll, I'll start mixing it um, I'll probably put together you know put together a mix of all the songs and then we can uh, I'll send them to the guys and you know John can pick the parts that he might want to redo I can pick the parts that I might want to redo um, 
So, and hopefully that will only be a short amount of things. And then I'm hoping that we can get this together to release um, in time for our spring shows, which we have, we have two shows lined up this spring, um, March. There's one in March in Columbus. Let's see. When is that? Um, okay. I don't have it in here. I think March 25th and then April 15th in Pittsburgh. Um, so it'd be nice really nice if if uh we could have the album ready to go by then so that we could kind of have those two things coincide and support each other um oh yeah march 25th in columbus april 15th in pittsburgh so if we could have the album ready to release by march 25th i think that's realistic and i think um that would be that would be a nice um, combination of, of things that would happen. Uh, I think, let's see, it's the beginning of November. I'll probably have the tracks in my hands to start mixing by next week. So, when is that? Yeah, by like the 14th. So, I'll have, let's see, two weeks in November... Two weeks in November, December, January. If I could mix the album, if we could finish the album by the end of January, or maybe by like mid-February, I could get it uploaded to the streaming services to hold, you know, for a future release. And then that way we can have a better chance of getting onto Spotify editorial playlist, release radar, all that stuff that I'm like starting to learn uh is you know more important to pay attention to um i always i feel like i always rush my releases when i uh have done my solo recordings and stuff i just like i never put that much effort at all into releasing music i just like making it and releasing it as soon as it's done but um man, i had a conversation with mars jackson the other day um he came over and you know, I, I thought we were going to work on music, but we ended up just kind of talking the whole time, and that was that was actually really nice. Um, and talking to him, it really made me think about putting more effort into the releases and kind of made me feel a little bit like the way I just release music and just don't put any effort into it kind of undervalues the music and kind of just like undercuts you know its potential so i think um i would like to try with this full band album to put more of an effort into the rollout as mars put it the rollout so just really getting the word out posting a lot about it making a lot of content related to it we took a lot of video at the studio um And so I think we'll have some, some good stuff to record video for. And uh, let's see. I don't really know. I'll have to talk to him a little more. Like what else goes into a rollout? 
But, um, you know, playing a show, I think that would help. Get the word out, get the buzz up, get people listening. He also had a good idea about make the album available early for download. Make it available early, download only, like paid download only, no streaming, so that if people want to hear it, like the people who really support you, they can buy it early and... And then, you know, a couple weeks later, it'll go up onto streaming services where people can listen to it for free. But, you know, at least have a little bit of time where if people want to support you and they want they want to hear your, your new work, they can buy the album and do that. Because, um, you know, it's going to be free anyway once it comes out. So might as well do that. I thought that was a good idea. He also had the idea of... Uh, releasing merch with the album which i thought that was pretty pretty good idea like you release an album also release a merch item that couples with the uh with the album i thought that was that was a great idea too i feel like i'm i want to try both of those but yeah the um I, i'm just really i'm really happy that all the guys in the band were on board with with doing this because you know, we had already put a significant amount of work into the recordings that we had going. You know, I, I know Michael had tracked some bass parts, John had tracked guitar parts and done solos, Nick had done drum parts, I had done vocals, I, I you know, we had all put time and thought into the songs already. And so I'm happy that, that everyone was on board with with doing the studio because that means scrapping the work we've already done and and starting over but not really starting over because we are we're using all that work that we've already done that was all refinement of our ideas and you know fleshing out the ideas and then going to the studio we were able to record them you know seven in one day and um the songs will hopefully be pretty much all there, just a couple overdubs, but, you know, the fact is we did put a lot of work into the songs already, um, and to kind of scrap that work is, you know, that could be kind of tough to, kind of tough to deal with, um, but I know that I was feeling not discouraged by doing that i was feeling inspired by doing that because i just felt like well we could make we could make these we have an opportunity to maybe make these to the next the next level of you know sonic quality and you know i was feeling inspired to try to take the work a little higher in some way since we had this friend who worked at this really nice studio and was you know really trying to get us to come in and record with him um so i'm glad that that everybody else kind of was on board with that and and felt like you know that was a good that was a good move um you know absolute <laughs> worst comes to worst we still have those original recordings um, those, those thing, the ones that became demos, obviously that's not ideal because that'd be a 
really big waste of money if we ended up not using the studio recordings. But that's the thing, you know, we, we booked the date. We had money on the line. So it was in our all of everybody's best interest to be prepared to go in and record these songs the best we could. And that was, you know, that was a big plus of recording in a studio. You know, it gave everybody an incentive and also put some skin in the game to be prepared to do the best job you can, to put as much thought as you can into these, into that session and into the recording so that we can, you know, make the best out of it. So, um, yeah, pretty, pretty charged up talking about it. Uh, I'm just, man, 14 hours. I was, I was at the studio for 14 hours yesterday, which is, I haven't had a day like that in a long time. You know, when I was, you know, maybe 10 years ago, fresh out of college working on music, I think I had, I had, I had those days a little more often and that one was that one was the longest recording day I've had in a very long time and we didn't we took a couple of breaks but they were short breaks um we didn't even stop to eat dinner uh it was just it was a marathon and I, I I'm like amazed at Brian's our engineer his like ability to do that um because you know as the musicians who are performing and playing and recording like we are we're very engaged i guess and like occupied or we're thinking we're we're active and i know that that he is too but i've also been the recording engineer in a session and there is a lot of just waiting um you know we would be recording takes of you know a five to ten minute songs and while the take is going, after everything, all the levels have been set, you know, there's there's just a lot of sitting around for, for Brian. So I'm just amazed at the, the mental stamina and physical stamina that he displayed. Um, it was awesome. So I guess, yeah, this has been a really busy month for us as a band. Because we've had, um, let's see, we had, what the heck did we have? We had Poor at the Park. We had Fuzztoberfest in Columbus. Poor at the Park was in Pittsburgh and North Park. Then we had Mr. Smalls with Dopapod. Then we had the recording session yesterday. And then this Friday we have another Columbus show with Dopapod at Woodlands Tavern. Um... And that will be the last thing for a couple months. So it's it's been a busy month, and you know we've definitely been been uh, been at it this month. Where, where the heck was I going with that? I'm excited to I'm excited for the show on Friday, and then I'm excited to not have anything on the schedule, have time to hunker down, work on the album, try to refine my, my daily schedule, try to refine my lifestyle, get things 
organized in my life. I feel like for the, this past month, past couple months, actually, like I feel I've been kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Um, not because we've, we've been like, like so busy that, you know, we, we've been busy, but it's more so just because like I've, I've lost the, uh, the discipline and like the, the focus to, you know, keep my, my day organized. Um, and I'm kind of just have gone to a state where I'm thinking about the next thing I have to do. And that's all I'm thinking about. And then that happens. And then there's another thing. Cause if I try to think about everything, it's just like, I get overwhelmed. So I'm just, you know, I was, I was focused on the recording before that, I was completely focused on the Mr. Small show, Dopapod. Before that, I was completely focused on the show for Fuzztoberfest. Right now, now that the recording's done, I'm shifting my focus completely to being ready for the November 11th show with Dopapod. And then after that, I can relax. Um, but yeah, my, my schedule has just completely gone out the window any kind of structure I had um I'm really just it's just so fluid right now there will be days in the week I might start out the week waking up at 5 a.m having like a really structured uh really successful day like in my mind of just like having a good structure having a good schedule having a lot of production and also having time to recreate and then by the end of the week, I might be going to bed at four in the morning, five in the morning, like the same, like a complete 12 hour shift. And then it kind of turns into, well, then the, the, the sleep cycle is just continuously like rotating. And my, my work time is whenever I'm awake, whenever I, uh, have the time. So it's just, it's a little bit disorienting. Um, I feel like I've kind of just been like, Flying by the seat of my pants is kind of the best way that I could put it. Just, just floating, uh, floating through time right now. Um, not totally grounded in like a, a solid, uh, day and night schedule, which I, it's been, you know, it's been working. I've been able to get the work done that I need to get done. I've been able to, you know, be ready for shows and stuff like that. But I don't, it's not ideal. I don't want to keep doing this. So after this, uh, after this show, you know, I won't have any excuses or things kind of looming in the distance that, that will influence my, or like disrupt my schedule. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, to get my, my schedule dialed in and to really just be able to get settled and get a nice work rhythm going. Um, cause I, you know, the live performance, it is very consuming for, for me. Uh, just like, and I, I don't know if it is, I don't know if, what it's like for everybody else, but it, it really like, it definitely is like consuming mentally for me in terms of getting prepared, getting, uh, getting the set, 
everything like in line, getting all of the like the audio and like um, sequencing and transitions and stuff figured out. Um, get all my patches figured out on my uh, keyboards and um, I mean it. It has been getting less consuming, like less stressful. Um, I think since we've been kind of playing more frequently, uh, you know, I kind of mentally adjusted or became more desensitized to it. So it hasn't been, you know, stressing me out as much as it does sometimes, but it is still very consuming. And like, that's, I, when I have that thought in my head that we have this show coming up, I need to, I need to like prepare for that. Um, and it's, it's nice to, uh, whenever we get a break from that so that I can consume myself with either writing, mixing, working, um, you know, trying to make some money or like, I can like consume myself with something else and, you know, not, not have the impending pressure of having to perform, which I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's not, it's not like that. Like, I, I think, you know, I was talking to Nick about it and I think he used to feel that way. And then more recently he's, you know, shows are just, they're not stressful for him anymore at all. There's, he's just like, they're just fun. And it seems like Michael Berger, like he just seems never stressed out by having to perform which is it's nice always nice to have um you know i'm not sure i i don't, I don't think i've talked to john about how shows and preparation for shows and stuff like how that affects him mentally but um seems like seems like it's it's pretty much like a, an enjoyable thing and not too stressful you know unless there's you know, there was one show where he had he had a technical problem that he had to troubleshoot, like in the middle of a show, and that seemed pretty stressful. And that's happened that's happened to me before, not in a long time, but unexpected technical technical errors are like my biggest fear in in performing because we have kind of a lot of technology integrated into our sound that's like pretty important um, that we rely on in terms of our sound and like how our, you know, the performance of our show. So that's like one of the main things that worries me. Um, but yeah, in general, I feel like I'm a bit, I can like definitely psych myself out a little bit or like get myself wound up and kind of stressed about, um, about shows a little more than necessary, you know, I always have to kind of talk myself down and remind myself that, you know, this is, this is like fun. This is, uh, for fun. People who go to see you are there to have fun. Um, there's really nothing on the line here in terms of if you make a mistake or if something goes really wrong with your show. Um, there's really like, no like severe consequences you know ego might be a little embarrassing but at the end of the day like that's not going to matter really that much um 
So, you know, I always also get myself into the right mindset by just reminding myself of, you know, how it feels to be watching a performance and seeing the energy and like feeling the energy of the performers and how transferable that is. So if I see someone and they're smiling, if I see them smile or laugh or something, I might it might make me smile or laugh like just watching them like I can feel their feelings sometimes so I'm always like you know I would rather see someone having a really great time playing and maybe it's you know not the perfect show over you know the perfect audio perfect performance but somebody who's like visibly stressed and like anxious on stage um, you know it's going to be more enjoyable for the crowd if you're putting out a good energy and you're having a good time, and I think I, yeah, I realized that at some point it's just like, you're going to provide the best show if you're having a good time. So just do whatever you need to do to, to have a good time and just uh, get in the mindset of just, you know, this is fun. This is not a serious thing that like has dire consequences. Um, it's for fun and it's for enjoyment. And the more fun you have, the more fun the crowd is going to have. And the more fun I have, the more relaxed I am. The more relaxed I am, the better I play and the better I feel. So there we go. I just ran myself through my uh, pre-show mental gymnastics there to get me in the right mindset <laughs> to not stress out about playing shows. <laughs> so... um yeah, that was all because, yeah, we have, we've got a show coming up this Friday. And I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm excited about it. We get to play with one of our favorite bands, one of our biggest influences, one of the leaders in our music scene. And um, I got to have a good conversation with, with them when we opened for them on Wednesday at Mr. Small's. Hopefully I didn't like impose too much on their space, but I did go up and just go talk to them for a minute in their green room after the show. Um, and, you know, ended up getting to connect with them a little bit more than I have in the past, which is, which is good. And we'll get to see them again on Friday and hopefully we'll get to, uh, get to know them a little bit more and hopefully they'll get to know us a little more. It's always kind of like, hmm, there's always kind of like a thin line that I'm not sure. It's kind of tricky to navigate where it's like you are talking to somebody, you know, you want to talk to people who have like really influenced you and you've like had these formative experiences watching them play music and, you know, you want to tell them these things, but there's like a, I feel like there's there's a tactful w way to have conversations with uh, it, with these types of scenarios, where it's like there's there's certain ways where I feel like I might come on a little too strong, and it's like weirds them out. So I think my the best success I've had with connecting on a personal level with other musicians that I hold in very high regard and like, uh, you know, idolize in some way. A lot of times it's through just like talking, talking shop, just like not, um, 
not starting out out of the gate like oh i love your music and like you like inspired me to play guitar and you know i like got so much from listen like not doing that but just um i don't know i feel like i started talking to them about their tour about the venue like if they had been to mr smalls and then that kind of led to a whole bunch of other stuff eventually i got into a nice conversation about you know work-life balance like how asking them questions and advice on like how do you how did you progress from from being just how did you progress into being a full-time performing band um how did you make the jump from having a career to being a musician as your career and um how do you handle like how how what is it like uh emotionally being on tour and um playing all these dates because they they had a pretty extensive tour and like what is that like and um I don't know kind of just being open about like some of my fears and concerns and like struggles as a musician and talking to them about that and always talking about gear and like talking about talking about um yeah like instruments or musical things is always has always been like a very pretty instant connection um and then, you know, you can build from there into a more personal understanding of each other. But the gear, talking about gear and stuff is, is, it's like the gateway to a lot of conversations that I've had with musicians that I kind of hold in, hold in the high regard, idolize, kind of just like, but yeah, I feel like I've, I've done, I've had a lot of times where I, I like I get to meet one of these people for the first time and I I start my first things are just talking you know like fan fanning to them about like how much I you know love their music or like they're playing or something and you know it kind of changes the tone of the conversation um, and I feel like I don't connect with them actually as good as if I start talking to them kind of as peers, I guess, like talking to them about how they do what they do and like just like things that, I, I don't know how to put it. Um, it establishes like a different kind of connection, which is really cool to have because then, you know, I start having a conversation about some kind of gear or like, performance related thing um and then it feels like feels like we are talking on like a peer level or like a professional level about shared experiences um as opposed to fan and idol type of thing but it's pretty crazy like the the music scene like the jam scene it's like festival jam scene that we've we've kind of grown into um it's pretty amazing how small it is everybody seems to know everybody and which is really cool and um 
there are just so many connections within that scene. It's always very cool to get to meet some of these people and see how the people I've met are connected and eventually to, you know, develop relationships a little more and get to get to be involved more. Um, it's very cool. So I guess that is all just to say that I'm excited to play with Dopapod again on Friday. I'm going to try not to flatter them um, with uncomfortable flattery. Uh, and, you know, just play it cool. Just play it cool. You know, not too cool. You know, not like disrespectful cool, but just just not overeager cool, I guess. <laughs> and then it's time after that show to freaking hunker down, get my life in order, get my house in order, do all the projects that I want to do, which, you know, I want to make some, some more acoustic treatment for my recording room. I want to make a, I want to try to make a, a new, like a custom desktop because I've got this standing desk and you can take the desktop off. You can put your own desktop on, just screw it on and use the mechanical legs still. So I want to make my own custom desktop because this desktop is nice, but it's a little small and there's a couple features that I really would like, which is a keyboard tray underneath where I could put like a musical keyboard keyboard tray um i want to install like convenient power around the desk um i think i want to have like a second tier like a little second tier in the back so i can have having that second level of surface area is is really nice and i want to have a little shelf underneath to hold my laptop because right now i'm using this kind of kind of like rickety little stand that I made out of scrap wood to hold my laptop. And it's just like, there's a better solution for that. Um, I could, then I would have that space underneath cleared out because I found these things on Etsy or eBay or something. It's like an under desk attachment. You screw it in under your desk. It's like the most minimal laptop holder it was genius because I was like thinking about, okay, how could I make like a little shelf underneath my my desk to hold my laptop? And I was thinking of like designs and stuff, ways to, to do that. And then I found on Etsy, they had these, the most minimal, like beautiful solution for that, which is just like these little brackets that come down and it's just like four little brackets that you, your computer slides into. There's no like, big piece of wood like screw to your day. it's just like these little arms that that hold your computer i don't really know how to describe it better than that but just believe me it is when i saw that i'm like wow that is so much better than the idea i had um but yeah i want to make like real chunky sturdy drawer slides for the keyboard tray so i can have i want to i want to put my um profit my synthesis, my main like synthesizer that I use for all my keyboard stuff. I want to put that there so that I can have that in front of me. Cause right now my keyboard is to the side of me. So when I go to, when I'm working on a song and I want to do keyboard, I have to turn 90 degrees to the right to play my keyboards so that only one of my ears is facing my speakers. And it's not a huge problem, but 
I know that I could get much more, you know, and I, I could just put headphones on and a lot of times I do, but a lot of times I would rather make music through speakers instead of headphones. And if I'm centered at my desk, my keyboard right in front of me at the right height, screen right in front of me, I can get much deeper into sound design, composition. It's just like a much better, I just like that a lot better than being off to the side playing. Uh, it's kind of inconvenient. What else? Um, I got a new Pelican Watch album coming out November 25th. I was patient with this one. I was very patient. This album has been done for probably a month now and maybe even longer, but I wanted to try before I released it myself, I wanted to try to get, I wanted to reach out to some labels, some lo-fi labels and see if I could get one of them to work with me and release it under their label because it seems like labels are a really big part of the lo-fi beat scene. So I, I got in touch with several labels. Um, nobody was interested because I think because the music, a lot of them said like, it sounds good. It's really nice, but it's not this, it's not like the right style. So the kind of style of lo-fi beats, there's like a couple sub styles. There's like jazzy lo-fi beats. There's like kind of like chill lo-fi beats with like very sparse piano. Those are kind of the two main kinds. Um, and then there's probably more. That might have been an ignorant thing to say that there's only those two kinds. But those are like the two main kinds that I've observed. And the stuff that I've been making is kind of tropical. <laughs> like it's very coastal flavored, um, beachy. I'm using, I'm using the slide guitar. I'm making like kind of like luscious, like beachy lo-fi beats. And this doesn't like fit the mold of what these other, of what these labels are looking for. They're looking for something specific. Um, they're looking for something very specific and you know, what I sent them was not that. So if I want to release something on one of those labels, I need to get, I need to make the sound that they're looking for. So, you know, I'll probably try that and I'll probably also continue to, to explore my own style of lo-fi. But I mean, kind of the point of this lo-fi project was I want to, I want to like integrate into that scene. Like I want to be successful in that niche um i don't want to kind of create some like ambiguous new style that like nobody wants i mean that's that's kind of harsh to say like i really like it i think people would like it too if they heard it um but it doesn't it doesn't fit the mold um and therefore it doesn't have the support of you know labels and playlists and stuff um or it's like less likely to get the support um I really feel like I need to hit the nail on the head with the style, which would require me to, you know, study the style a bit more and then try to just be creative within that niche framework of a specific style of a style. Um, because really like the reason I started doing lo-fi beats, cause it's, 
it's a very popular style in the streaming audio world, like on Spotify. There's so many listeners. And I saw, I've seen several of these lo-fi producers with enough monthly listeners that would support them just through the streaming income. You know, 250,000 monthly listeners would support my rent. Um, and a lot of these lo-fi artists, they've got several, you know, several times that. So I'm like, you know, I feel like I could make this music. I want to try to do it because I'm searching for any possible way I can to create, to create like a, a livable income off of, you know, music that I like to make and my own creative products. So it's less of like an artistic project for me than Chalk Dinosaur. Like I'm much more with Chalk Dinosaur. I don't feel like I need to, and I don't want to like fit a specific mold. But with Pelican Watch with the Lo-Fi, it's like you know, if that's the mold uh, to be successful in that, then you know I'm gonna at least try it. And um, and that's what I was trying to do, but I, I I just couldn't help like taking it into a certain direction that wasn't uh, the norm. And I kind of figured, you know, like maybe it would be, it would fill a niche that hasn't yet been filled, like lo-fi tropical, like lo-fi beachy. You know, those are both very nice, relaxing elements. And not, I haven't heard anybody else doing it. So I'm doing it. And so I'm kind of like, hmm, should I keep developing that or try to shift into more, to fit into more of the, what the subgenre has really like niched down into in terms of like the way it sounds and the style and the instrumentation. And I guess like the conclusion I came to is I'll probably do both. But the project I do for like true artistic fulfillment is Chalk Dinosaur. And the project I want to do for like to try to become popular on streaming platform is Pelican Watch. Put it that way. Um, but you know, I still get plenty of artistic satisfaction out of doing pelican watch um, i really enjoy making that music and i enjoy working within a specific framework like within a genre that's been really nice i, I the uh the structure and the the i don't know the the template like the, the guidelines the framework is much smaller so it's it's so vast with Chalk Dinosaur that it's like, it's like impossible to market that um, because every album is like a different genre that would appeal to a different group of people. And it's, uh, it's just got to be word of mouth for Chalk Dinosaur pretty much, which has been going, you know, well. And like a lot of people that end up exploring the discography and, and taking, you know, putting it on and letting themselves kind of dive into the the music a lot of people have become very strong supporters really outspoken fans and like really appreciate the diversity and you know the volume of work so that's been really nice it's it's not a huge amount of listeners but the listeners have been extremely supportive and just like really high quality listeners. 
And um, for Pelican Watch, it's just so easy to... It's so easy to explain what it is. And it's so easy to, you know, pitch it to a playlist or try to get it... I don't know. It, it's just like, it is what it is. And when you listen to a Pelican Watch song, you know what you're going to get. Everything's going to be lo-fi beats, probably with like a coastal flair. Whenever you listen to Chalk Dinosaur, it could literally be like any genre. Uh, well, not not literally, but you know, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, so it it has been nice working in the confines of one genre, but it's nice to have that as like a side project, you know. Um, cause yeah. They always say, you know, limitations stimulate creativity and especially with music um, being limited. And that's why a lot of people love those, some of these old instruments and like beat machines, like samplers, like the SP404, the MPC, some of these classic like music making devices that were kind of at like a primitive time in technology, very limited technologies to like make electronic music. But people love those because you know, it's got a small set of things it can do. And then your creative, uh, your, your creativity comes through, like, how can you, how many different ways can you use this device and like manipulate this device to make music? And it becomes like a fun, a fun way to kind of put something together. And, um, it's much different than, you know, now with the modern computer workstation and some of the instruments that we have and software, there are no limits, so it's it can be very overwhelming, and there's just an infinite amount of different sounds and tools that you can use to create music. So that can be very overwhelming, um, which is why it's always nice sometimes if you're working with a limited setup. Um, like I remember on, well, I, I had uh, I had an old keyboard called the Juno. It was a synthesizer from the 80s and it had so it was it was pretty primitive. It had a fairly small amount of controls to it, like parameters that you could control. There were no screens, everything was tactile, everything had uh like a slider or a knob that you could turn and there weren't that many of them. So it was like, it had limitations for sure, but within the controls, within the few controls that it had, you could get so many different sounds out of it if you really messed around with the subtlety of how you set all the little settings. And it was really eye-opening to me to have a limited synthesizer like that and be able to get so many different sounds out of it. And another thing that I, I really like about some of these simpler devices that do less um, is that a lot of them inherently just have like a sonic signature or like they just sound good somehow. Um, I feel like MPCs are kind of like that. Like stuff that you make on an MPC or like the SP404, they're very limited, but the stuff that comes out of them has a specific sound to it, a signature, like a signature flavor that is special 
And the Juno was like that. You know, it was pretty limited in what you could control on it. But everything that came out of that thing sounded great. Um, you know, on the other hand, another synthesizer I have is the Virus. That's a digital synthesizer, and it's super deep. Um, and I have not, like, really explored the, the total depths of this instrument, um, this synthesizer. And, you know, it is a little overwhelming for me. I prefer the simpler controls of the Juno that just everything sounded good. With the virus, it's almost like it's so vast what you can do with it um, that it's kind of daunting to try to fully understand and harness all of the controls and stuff on this instrument. And it sounds great, but I, I mostly just like do pre like get presets from the internet, use the presets that were on the keyboard to start, just like preset sounds and patches. Maybe modify them a little bit, but I don't start stuff from scratch on this keyboard. It's just like, or on this synthesizer, it's just, it's a little overwhelming and it, it would be the kind of thing that I would, I would want to dedicate a session to just doing that so that I'm not in the middle of a creative project, working on a song, writing, and then I'm like, oh, I should use the virus for like a, for like a sound. And then I get lost going through presets, like searching for sounds, trying to make a sound. And then it's like the session has been like the creative session has been derailed into a sound design session. So I should probably, I should, I should probably take a, take a session and just explore what I can do with, with that or with any of my keyboards, really. All of the, all of the instruments I have, I feel like if I, if I really take the time to explore the sounds and really tweak the controls, I find new things that I didn't have, or I, I weren't like readily apparent to me on the surface. You know, you just find new ways to use the instrument and new, new cool, inspiring sounds, but it does take a bit of time to, you gotta spend some time with it. Anyway, what the, what the heck am I, am I doing here? Oh, so, yeah, I started this out. I just wanted to talk about the recording session yesterday. I think it went really well. I'm really excited to get the audio back and start working on it. And I'm very eager to see what the difference is between stuff that I record in the basement at home for free and stuff that we record together in probably a multi-million dollar facility with um, all of the best possible recording equipment. You know, I want to see what the difference is. And I uh, also want to make this the best we can. Why not go the extra mile with this music that we've been developing and performing and, and try to just push it to the next level. So, yep, hopefully I'll release that in spring. And until then, I'm going to continue releasing singles from stuff that I've just been making on my own. I'm going to keep doing that and um, so there will be a steady stream of new songs new Chalk Dinosaur songs and then sometime in spring there will be a full length album probably some other ones I'm working on an album with Nick I've got an album of songs that I'm working on just like songs I've written just 
singer-songwritery stuff. And um, yeah, I hope you all have a good week or weekend whenever you listen to this. And yeah, check out check out the new songs by Chalk Dinosaur, the new singles. Check out the new music by Pelican Watch. And yeah, have a nice have a nice fall. <laughs>